Hey, what's up, y'all? My name is Rochelle Grow, and I'm the host of Allergic to Small Talk. I'm an expat living in the UK. I own two businesses, have my executive MBA from Pepperdine University, and I come riding dirty, having fallen from the polished corporate world. Allergic to Small Talk is a show about how to grow your small business through networking, plus the tools and resources needed to develop your foundation as a business owner. If you're allergic to small talk, get ready for big conversations that are delivered to you in bite-sized chunks that you can implement right away to transform the way you view, operate, and grow your business. This is Allergic to Small Talk by Cut Class. Always be prospecting. If you come from the world of sales, this might be a familiar term for you. And if this is foreign, you'll want to listen up. Hey there, and welcome back to Allergic to Small Talk. You can catch me here every week teaching you the latest tips and tools on how to grow your network and how to grow your small business. All right, let's dive in. On today's show, I wanted to focus on prospecting. And if you own a small business, I hate to tell you, but You're a salesperson whether you like it or not, but generating prospects doesn't have to be dreadful. In fact, it can be a lot of fun. And I have an awesome guest for you today that's going to share about the entire world of prospecting and how it can actually be lots of fun. And his name is Anders Boulanger, and he's going to talk to us about what it means to prospect and how to do it in an entertaining way. Anders. CSP is founder and CEO of Engageify, a company dedicated to rehumanizing business through engagement. For nearly two decades, he's been traveling the world with his team of certified infotainers, creating crowds of interested prospects and presenting brand-defining performances in the trade show exhibits of Fortune 500 companies. A natural-born performer, Anders has been performing magic since the age of five when he received a Fisher Prize magic set. And just like that, he was hooked. He got his start performing at birthday parties and fairs and festivals. Now, for nearly two decades, he's been traveling the world, speaking and performing at conferences, corporate events, and trade shows. Companies like Microsoft, Siemens, and VM Software count on Anders and his team of infotainers to create engagement at their major industry events. After logging thousands of hours of engaging all kinds of people at all kinds of events around the world, he has codified engagement and now trains teams and individuals on how to engage their prospects, customers, and teammates so they can deepen connection and command attention. Anders, welcome to the show. All right. Thanks, Rochelle. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So, Anders, I did give you a little bit of an introduction, super impressive um, background and insight into kind of where you are today. But I always like for my guests to share in their own words, like, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've kind of found your career where you are today. Sure. As my bio suggested, I did get a Fisher Price Magic set when I was five, and I got into magic. And I would do, you know, little performances at show and tell at school. And I'm from a town of 500 people. So when I got to be about 12 years old, I put up a little made with pencil crayon poster about magic shows for birthday parties. And I put it up at the post office, right? Like one, (laughs) one sign, but it's everyone has to go to the post office, right? In a small town. 
And so then I started doing little birthday parties and that was kind of my first paid gigs for, you know, $5 for a 30 minute show kind of thing. And I started doing fairs and festivals, went through university. I got a physics degree, but my plan was always to be a professional performer, but I didn't want to run away to the circus kind of thing. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I made sure that I kind of had that as a backup plan. And then I graduated university and just started doing magic full time. And then by that time I was starting to do corporate events and basically the same magic show, but I put on a suit, right? And it made me more like, you know, professional <laughs> that way. And then I got booked for a few trade shows where people just wanted entertainment in their booth to try to attract people. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that that was a whole thing. I got into it a little bit more and then studied in the best whoever lived was a man named Joel Bauer. And I was able to get trained by him. And then I learned how to do that trade show magic or what we call infotaining on a different level. So what would be happening is that the entertainment is all message oriented around the company. So the, all the tricks will talk about the benefit to using that product or service or solution. And I call them like high passion message driven presentations. And you can kind of wrap people up in your energy and sweep them away. And they would just kind of get into it. And then at the end, you're like, all right, how many people like a demo? Raise your hand. And then everyone would just follow you into the booth. And so my clients loved it because they were able to increase not only the leads they generated, but also increase the number of demos and get them further down the pipeline. And so that's kind of where I spent a lot of time is stopping people who didn't want to stop. Right. right? They were just passers-by, engaging them in, well, both conversation, but also in kind of creating an event that they could be a part of and then building it from there and building these crowds. And so that's kind of where Engageify was kind of born out of is that we were doing this for all these companies. And I would often MC the internal presentations in a trade show booth. And I would see subject matter experts and salespeople and engineers and come up and do presentations that were just like, oh, like I would set them up, bring a big crowd in, and then everyone would slowly dissipate because they just couldn't hold the crowd. And so I realized that there is kind of a, we call it an engagement gap, mm -hmm. you know, between the skill level of who is engaging, right? They might be unaware, untrained, or unremarkable in the first place, okay? <laughs> and then on the other side of that gap is your prospects, is your customers and these days, especially these days, I think the pandemic and the work from home world has really exacerbated this engagement gap. And it's the fact that they are busy, distracted, and they have no time, right? You know, within the virtual world, we got babies crying, dogs barking in the background and, you know, people working on multiple screens and all of this. We're in the attention economy and yet no one's paying attention. Right. So what we're doing is we're helping people find out how they can kind of up their engagement level, right? And how they do interact with people, whether it's in person, whether it's online, whether it's vocal only, like on the phone. And in this way, we're able to capture that prospect's attention and, and deepen connection and hopefully find their a possible fit for whatever product, service, or solution that they're selling. That's kind of where we've come and where we're going. And can you tell my passion about this subject? <laughs> just a, just a <laughs> little bit. Yeah. <laughs> As many of you know, our team at Cut Class is passionate about helping people transition from their nine to five to building a business that they love. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked. I remember climbing the corporate ladder, 
getting my executive MBA, and making great money and driving a fancy car. But at the end of the day, I was frustrated and miserable because I was doing everything that I thought I was supposed to be doing to hit success. It wasn't until I completely unplugged from what the world always told me would make me happy that I was able to find my genius zone and turn it into a business. I now have the freedom around time and finances that I've always wanted. So if you're in a similar situation where you're in a nine to five that's frustrating and unfulfilling and you're thinking about starting a business so you can control your time and finances, then let's hop on a call and let's talk about creating your new future. A link to book a call will be in the show notes. But I think that's a big secret. When I talk about sweeping people away with your energy, you know, if you have something you really believe in, right, and it comes across, people just kind of can't help but go with you on that. So, you know, when we're talking about being allergic to small talk, you know, the, the title of your podcast here, if you are passionate, that does a lot of heavy lifting, right? For people just to kind of get into it. So, yeah. So anyways, that's, that's kind of where we've come from and and where we're going. And we continue to do the trade shows now that the world is opening up. But then of course we do have our training side of our company, which we do those types of trainings. Love that. Anders, thank you so much for giving me a background in your journey and your career and with your company. Like I really love people's backstories. So Now, I would love for you to share your magic with us. No pun intended. (laughs) No, but really, like, I know we're going to talk about the five fundamentals. So, yeah, let's dive into that because I would love for my community of small business owners to kind of understand, like, how they can engage more prospects in a more meaningful and engaging and maybe entertaining, infotaining way. Sure. So what I'm going to teach you is what we call the fundamental five. And this is out of one of our trainings called presenting for profits. It's originally for presentation kind of tips, but Mm -hmm. it works for engagement. It works for other things. And it would be work for just networking. If you went to some sort of business mixer or whatever, what have you. Okay. So you've got your hand in front of you, palm facing you, and you've got five fingers. We're going to attach one tip to each finger. Okay. So the first one is we're going to extend our thumb and just our thumb only, and it's like we're hitchhiking, right? And this thumb is about getting people's attention. That's the first thing that you have to do, right? If people aren't listening, you can't get the message across, right? Right. We have to grab people's attention in that way. So that is almost like a whole big ball of wax of how do we grab people's attention. Right. But the one piece that I would like to talk about in this case is pattern interrupts, creating contrast, Because we only notice differences, right? There's a smell that you smell, and then you can't smell it after a while, right? If it's present, we only notice those differences, right? So one of the things that I used to do is I would do um, walk-around magic, okay, or strolling magic. And in strolling magic, you would have, you know, a cocktail party, basically, which is very much kind of a networking environment kind of thing. And... I would have to approach a group of people and I'd be hired to entertain them, except they don't know there's any entertainment happening. So it's kind of like you've got to go interrupt a group of people 
that are talking amongst themselves, you know, with wine glasses and their all shoulders are kind of turned in and you kind of got to break into that group and win them over very quickly. So one of the things, and I would come up with different lines and different things to try and I would just kind of like creep in there and then they would all kind of like look over at me like, who is this guy? Like, Sorry for interrupting your conversation. Uh, remember your topic. Okay. And then when I leave, you can just jump right back into that. Okay. Does that make sense? So from their point of view, they're like, who the heck is this guy? Like, what's this all about? But because I interrupt, it is a literal pattern interrupt, but it's because I did it in such a way and there's confidence behind it. Right. People are like, what's this guy up to? Right. I've got a huge smile on my face while I'm doing it. And, and then they're like, what? And then I would launch into some magic and introduce myself. And, and then they go, oh, okay, now it makes sense. Right. But it's that idea that we take that expectation and we defy it, right? We flip the script on the situation and people go, whoa. Now, for some people, that might be kind of an uncomfortable thing, right? right? There can be different ways of doing that, but sometimes just kind of calling the moment. If it's an awkward moment, calling that out or what have you <laughs> is sometimes one of those ways to like changes things up. Other ways of contrasting, uh, I mean, if we look at other mediums, if you will, in virtual, you can see me right now and you can see that I've got some nice lights on behind me. I've got a logo up beside me, all these things. So when people come on to a virtual call with me and we're seeing if there's a possible business fit, all of a sudden I have a different look about my scenario than what they're used to in terms of a virtual call. Right. And in one instance, I was doing almost kind of a showcase Uh for uh, VMware, which is a multi-billion dollar company. And they were looking for someone to be a virtual MC for one of their summits. And so I was on with about eight different marketing people and they're saying, okay, what do you got? Show us what you got. And so I'm kind of like doing the little dance, kind of like, hey, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. But the woman who ended up hiring me, she said, you know what? I will admit I was multitasking on three different monitors. And then you came on (laughs) and I saw that red background. I went, oh, that's interesting. And then you leaned into the camera and you said something and I felt myself leaning into my screen, <laughs> you said. And so then I got her attention. It was kind of because of the work I had done and the things that I, you know, really framed out in my virtual setup was that contrast that first of all got her attention. So, And you're standing, which is really cool too. You're moving around, yeah. which is really great, which makes it feel much more engaging. <laughs> we'll come back to that. That'll, okay. that'll play into our thing. So that's, Sorry. That's, that's our first one. Okay. That's okay. No, it's good. We're, we're doing a little bit of what we would call opening a loop, right? And, or what they call the Zygarnik effect, where you mention something and then people go, oh, I want to know more about, about that. that one later. They have to wait for it. That is an engagement technique or Love. an engagement tactic we teach. All right. So we've done the thumb, which is capture people's attention. There's lots of different ways of doing it. We use magic as that hook with our infotainers. But so we go to the index finger. If everyone just extends their index finger, I want you to point it towards yourself and then point it away from yourself like you're pointing it to the other person. This is about getting rapport between you and the other person or you and a group of people. Okay, so I'm pointing my finger all over the room, (laughs) this idea of rapport. Now, rapport to most people means just Hey, you like baseball? I like baseball. We got rapport. Like, you know, there's commonalities. There's that side of it, but there's also a structure to it. And this comes out of 
neurolinguistic programming. Are you familiar with mm-hmm. NLP? It is much bigger, of course, in, in certain areas of the world, like U.S., not as much as it is in Europe and Asia and other places. And so what they discovered, and when I say they, the co-founders of NLP, they watched all these great therapists who could get amazing results with from their clients. And they realized there was something going on there. And so there was what they call mirroring and matching. And mm-hmm. You might have heard of that or had some other guests discuss this idea of mirroring and matching. And that works on a bunch of different levels. So one of them being body language, right? So here's one of the challenges, Rochelle, in virtual. Uh-huh. I know this is a podcast, but we're looking at each other. So I'm talking about this, is that we can't see enough of each other to mirror and match each other's body language. Right. Right. Like I can see you nodding and I can nod <laughs> along too. So what the mirroring and matching means is a mirror would be if you raise your right hand and I raised my left hand, we'd match. Right. Or if matching would be if you raise your right hand and then I raise my right hand, right? That idea. It doesn't matter. It's the idea that the more we are alike, the more we will like each other. Mm-hmm. And there are mirror neurons in our brains that fire when we see someone doing a movement that we know and that we can relate to and that sort of thing. So that's where you know you get that a big part of communication is 55% is that body language piece, right? Yeah. People get an idea. If I, and I don't know if the mic will pick this up, but if I take my fist and I, I punch my hand like that, you know, that kind of, and I talked about impact. Right. You would know what that feels like because you've done that before at some point, right? right. You, and so you kind of get more meaning out of what I'm doing, right? So all of this rapport that can bond us together, that's the step. So we've got their attention. Now, how do we build that rapport? So one of the easiest things to notice is when you see people standing around and they've got their arms crossed, you know, (laughs) they don't even do it. This is unconscious rapport. It's unconscious. People will do it. And you'll notice a bunch of people are going there, all their arms crossed. But the next time you're out, I want you to watch for this. Okay. And see people who have similar body angles or spine angles. Maybe they're sitting at a table and they're resting their hand on their fist. Maybe there's people who are both sitting back in their chairs. What happens is we tend to mirror and match the other person. And then someone can actually lead the other person. So what I'll do is if I'm ever in a situation where people have got their arms crossed and it's not because it's probably they're cold, but they're like a little judgy and they're maybe like closed off to what you have to offer, I will mirror them. And then after I feel like well, maybe we're in tune, we're in sync, I'll uncross my arms and see if they follow, okay? Hmm. And that is where you can pace someone, meaning do what they do, and then lead. And then now you're doing something and they're changing and they're following you. So there's this dance that happens of this body language. And it's not just body language too, because the way we speak can be mirrored and matched. So one of the examples that I use in our trainings is you have someone, we're going to talk, you know, American accents. We were talking <laughs> accents before we start recording. With someone from Texas, Oh, gosh, yeah. Just someone from New York City. <laughs> oh, God. Right? So someone from Texas, they got a bit more of a drawl, right? It's just slower. Someone from New York City, they're going to go talk fast. And they go, you know, like, so if those two were trying to connect, right, depending on who's doing the trying, right, someone might need to slow down right, to be able to relate to that other person. Or if it's the other way flipped around, that other person's going to need to speed up so that there becomes more of a rapport, a vocal rapport in that situation. Right. right. Yeah. So 
the words people use, if you feedback those same words, they're going to dig that, right? Because they're there's that similarity. To, yes, yes, right? And you're speaking the same language. This idea that when I will do something, let's say you're ever in a presentation, and I'll say, raise your hand if you've have ever had this problem. And I'm going to ask a question that most people are going to say yes to, okay? So it's kind of like <laughs> an easy question you say yes to. All these hands go up. What have I just done? It's forced mirroring. Mm-hmm. I've made them raise their hand with me and I've got my hand in the air. Okay. So those are some of the things that I do to kind of congeal the crowd to really gel them. When I'm working in a trade show booth, they all start becoming bonded to one another and then to me. And then I have more control over them. And I'm using quotes just in the sense that I want the audience to be, you know, all on the same page. Right. That's kind of rapport side of things. And again, I could go all day about that, but it's (laughs) it's so fun and interesting. Love it. All right. So step number three, extend your middle finger. This is not (laughs) what you think it means. Okay. Now I I did this intentionally that all of these kind of have a little bit of a mnemonic to them, right? So the middle finger is how you tell someone off normally. (laughs) So we're going to talk about our voice in this one. Okay. So how do we use our voice? And again, we go back to that percentage thing, right? Not just the words we say, but 37% of our communication meaning comes from how we say it, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's a big percentage, right? And so your voice can really give you away in terms of your confidence level, right? If you're trying to meet someone or if there's maybe a status difference, right? right? You're talking to someone who you know they're a big deal or whatever, we will get so we'll kind of like, hi, Mr. So-and-so, um, you know, and you're kind of subjugating yourself or putting yourself lower, right? And making you yourself the inferior. And right away that creates some barriers. Though, right. right. So how we use our voice is super critical. And I come from a performance background. So I, you know, if you ever took any acting or theater, you know, there's a vocal warm up that you do. And I remember just always thinking, this is the stupidest thing. <laughs> you know, like, you're humming and you're doing different things. And it wasn't until I went to a performance retreat one time and every morning we did this warm up and the person running the workshop would walk around and look us right in the eyes and get us to do these different tongue twisters and different things. And he'd listen and I'm like, what is this guy listening for? But finally I heard it in my fellow people at the retreat that their voices started sounding different after they warmed up. And it was kind of like, they sounded better. Like no one really likes the sound of their voice, right? Like eh, that's not too common. We like those voices that we hear on the radio. Yeah. But when you warm up your voice and you actually pay pay closer attention to it, we can make our voices sound better. I'm not saying you're going to sound like a radio DJ, but you're going to be closer to that than you were before. Right. Right. We wake up in the morning and we just start talking. We don't think about our voice, you know, but when you start bringing some awareness to it, there's a lot that you can do with it. So before I got on here, I warmed up my voice. (laughs) I did some tongue clusters. Okay. And then with that too, when we train people on engagement techniques and trainings, one of the things that I find so often is people, they might have their elevator pitch, right? Right. You know, something that you would use in networking and you say it and you've got it memorized. 
But because you have it memorized, it doesn't come out maybe authentic the way you want it to, right? Yeah. It's just like, it's maybe over rehearsed. It doesn't have an illusion of the first time. It might. So we really, you know, we'll work with people to say, let's bring more meaning to our words, right? And that, that passion piece kind of comes into that and everything. But one of the exercises we do is we get a kid's book and I use a book called The Paperbag Princess to just kind of one of my favorites from when I was a kid. And I will get people to read the paperback princess, read the actual kid's book in a way that each and every single word has the meaning of the word in it. Oh. And because they're so descriptive. And so with that, it's kind of like the princess banged on the huge door with the big knocker, right? Bang, bang. You're going over the top with it, right? But when people say something like, you know, oh, it's really big. <laughs> really? It doesn't sound really big, no. right? No, it's really big. It's huge, right? So I find that when we talk about our businesses or talk about things that we do a lot, the meaning of those words is not being conveyed. And so that's where we need to use our voice more to bring that across. So again, that passion piece. Sometimes you just tap into the passion. You don't have to think about it. It just comes through. Yeah. You know, even in copy and tone, I remember taking a course on copy because I didn't really know how to write. And there was an exercise in this copy course where she gave us like three different examples. And she's like, I want you to read this like you're a little baby. And I was like, why, why am I going to read this? Like I'm a fucking baby. Like I don't want to do this. It's like, but I want you now to read it like you're a cowboy. And I'm like, okay. So, and I had to use language that a cowboy would use to say the same thing. And there was like another one where it's like, say it like you're a Martian. And I'm like, are you joking? Like, really? But it, it got me to think, oh, that's how you actually shift your copy and tone in writing. So it comes across differently. And that to me like it never made sense to me. And that one little like lesson made all the difference for my writing. And I think what you're saying is kind of similar, but it's actually when you're in, in person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Rochelle, one of the things, and, and this kind of reminds me of another exercise that we do with our uh, students is that they'll do their little part of their presentation, right? Whether it's a part of a presentation, whether it's just kind of an elevator pitch or whatever it is. And I'll watch them and I'll kind of go, okay, I'm going to assign an archetype to you. Oh, just like God. you talked about cowboy, Martian, whatever. <laughs> and I will usually pick one that is furthest away from who they are presenting right now, that side of themselves. So if they're playing really small, I want them to be play really big, mm. right? If they're unassertive, I want them to be very assertive. So something like I'd want them to be like a coach, you know, like, okay, you guys circle <laughs> up, take a knee. This is what we're going to do, right? That's the coach, right? And then, so then they would do their presentation with that kind of <laughs> thing, right? If someone's very monotone and they're just kind of coming across really flat like this and it's blah, 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 I'll say, I want you to do that now as you're a kindergarten teacher. So now they're like, okay, boys and girls, today <laughs> we're going to, right? And they'll be filling, it won't be word for word their talk, but they'll be filling in these words to kind of make it work. And it's a fun group right. activity, right? But what happens when we debrief it, this is what I find fascinating, is I'll say, well, how was that for you? And ultimately, someone will say, you know, I didn't think I could do that. I didn't ah. think that was me. But now I realize there's more to me than I thought. 
And so the reason we do that exercise is to realize that this prim and proper professional, you know, kind of projection that we try to put out there sometimes inhibits our ability to connect and engage. Mm. Okay. And what I find is the people who are more themselves are far more interesting than the people who are censoring themselves all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when we're out there and we're prospecting and we're engaging with people, letting a little more of your personality out is usually a good thing, right? And realizing we can go further places, you know, the idea that personas, persona, that word comes from the Greek, the sona in it is from the masks that the Greek tragedies and comedies would wear that were actually like amplifiers in the open air amphitheaters. And so with that, we wear different masks. We are different people when we're with our spouse yeah. and we're with our kids and when we're at work, when I'm out with my guys that I play volleyball with after, you know, having a drink, everyone's different. So we have different aspects of us. So we can bring that out and bring out more of us so that we can engage. So voice plays into that, right? How you're going to say that is going to depend on kind of what energy where you're coming from. Right. Cool. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now, now that we're past the offensive part, the middle <laughs> finger, we're going to do the ring finger and the ring finger. Are we committing to something? Heart. Oh, okay. This is heart. Oh, yeah. Heart. Okay. And this is kind of what I've been alluding to a lot is that, that passion, the enthusiasm, the congruence, right? To your material, to whatever you're talking about, right? And, you know, when I talk about congruence, I mean that the words, your actions, and your thoughts, they're all in a complete alignment. And people can feel you. Most people are wandering generalities. Well, the same with our communication, the same with our personal branding and how we present ourselves. We want to be that meaningful, specific. And so going back, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, what is your why behind this? You know, if you attach that meaning to what you're doing, and for some people who have a job that maybe is uninspiring, this can be a real challenge, mm -hmm. right? Trying to get passionate about something. But usually there is something, if you dig deep enough, that you can find that you can connect with, then that really helps. And if you can't, there are ways that you can kind of fake it till you make it, right? right? Like if you talk about something, I'll take someone, um, I've done this at, at different kind of seminars and trainings, and I'll bring someone on stage and I'll say, okay, talk about the product. Okay, great. Okay, stop. Now I want you to tell me, what do you like to do? He's like, I love the golf. What do you like about golfing? And you'd see this guy light up about golf, right? right? And just... It's just like, oh man, there's nothing like walking on a nice summer day, you know, and just you and the ball and with friends. And he's a completely different person. It's like, okay, that feeling that you have right now, can we go back and talk about the product again? But do it in the same way. And all of a sudden, it's like night and day right. how people talk about what they do. So, so connecting to that heart piece, and we also talk a little bit about, there's a great book by Olivia Fox Cobain, and it's called The Charisma Myth. And so for people who want to connect, want to network, want to understanding charisma, that it's not you're born with it or you're not. She says that there's a combination of three elements, and you only need two of them to make it work, okay? So here they are. So the first one is power, okay, meaning 
not necessarily you have to have more power over the other person, but there's kind of an authority or a status mm -hmm. piece there. So one example that can kind of flip is just talking about golf. If you have a golf pro and a surgeon and you're on the golf course, the golf pro has that kind of upper hand, right? right? There's kind of a local expertise kind of thing. Okay. And then if you were in a hospital, all of a sudden the surgeon, of course, you know, has that status sort of thing. Okay. If you are an expert in what you do, you already have that power. So that's kind ah. of almost like a given, right? Like you're the expert in your business. Right. So that's good. Now, the second piece is presence, meaning are you in the now? Are you there with that person? So easy to be distracted these days with your watches buzzing, your <laughs> phones buzzing, your, you know, all of these things, you're virtual, you've got multiple screens, you've got all these different notifications happening, right? And it's really a rare thing these days to have someone who is just, right, just there with you. No? Yeah. And even right now, I actually, I'll let you in on a little secret, Rochelle. Yeah. I've got a teleprompter set up that reflects your image right into my camera. Oh, cool. So I can stare right at you and I'm giving you eye contact through the camera. Oh, cool. Right? Now in virtual, and this is just a tip, people don't often have that and they're staring at their screen and they're not looking at their camera and the other person's staring at their screen and nobody's giving anybody eye contact. <laughs> which is not really instilling trust in that relationship. And that's one of the major issues in a virtual thing is the trust is way lower than it would be in person. Right. So with that, you know, the presence, right? Just being there. And then the other piece is warmth. The mm -hmm. third piece of the charisma. So it's power, presence, and warmth. And warmth is just, you know, wanting to be with people, being kind, being open, being friendly enough, right? I think we all know how we can be a little warmer, right? Yeah. And so you only need two out of the three. And so the examples they had was, you know, uh, Steve Jobs was not warm, warm. and fuzzy, <laughs> but he was very present. He was like a visionary. He knew what he wanted and he had power. He was CEO of Apple, right? right? And then someone who's really hits three for three is Bill Clinton. Now, Bill Clinton was a president, right? He's from Arkansas. He had that warmth to his voice, <laughs> right? He had that thing and he was very present. They say that his eye contact is so crazy that he has a reality distortion feel. Like you feel like you're the only one in the room when he speaks in a whole arena or what wow. have you, right? Like a huge venue. So, you know, that person is hitting three for three. Three for three is better than two for three, I think. But with that though, if you are going into a situation where, you know, you're like, I'm kind of nervous about it, or how am I going to come off? How I'll just sometimes say, Hey, forget the power thing. Just try to be present and try to be warm. Easy. And everything's going to take care of itself. Yeah, right. Easy peasy. There's so many things that we could pile on ourselves to try to remember or try to do or try to whatever, but just bring those two in. And I think you're going to find, you know, a lot easier to connect with people and they're just going to somehow find you, you know, so nice to be with and just get sucked into your energy. Love it. All right. Last one of the five is the pinky. Now, unfortunately, I don't have a smart mnemonic for the pinky. So I'll say sometimes, does anybody have a good one for this? Because this is for body. You know, nobody, somebody, nobody. Okay. Well, this one's for body. That's <laughs> the only thing I can say is the pinky one. And because I make a big deal about the pinky one not having a mnemonic, sometimes people just remember that's body. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. Because it's just the one that stands alone. So the body piece, you had alluded to it earlier, Rochelle, the fact that I'm standing virtual. I mean, for me, some people are different. Some people who have too much energy, maybe they should like sit down, like you need to settle down a little bit. But for me, I feel like I can express myself so much more fully if I'm standing, right? right? The way that my virtual is, I can pretty much extend my hands if I move back enough, right? So I can, mm-hmm. I can tell a story. I can use the space. And using your body, one of the things standing, and this is just kind of a virtual tip for people if you want one, as soon as you stand, you're going to have more energy in your voice because you have better access to your lungs. Yeah. Your voice is going to sound better. And with a camera... And the fact that there's no real live people in the room with you, <laughs> you tend to play down. Your energy is lower. And so a lot of people don't come across the way they think they're coming across how they would with people in the room. Right? You don't get that same feedback. So we always talk about a 33% more energy. So I'm going to do a little bar chart with my hands, but I'll describe it. So I'm going to hold one up to about where my chest is. And yeah. like, this is where your energy is being perceived by people. Now I have my other hand up by my nose. This is where people think they're coming in, but it's actually down here by my chest. Uh, but what we need to do is we need to come in, and now I've got another hand above my head. That's where we need to kind of come in just to be perceived where we thought we were being perceived, right? We wow. have to give 33% more energy just to get level with what we thought we were giving, right? So that's something that, again, by standing, I feel there's some importance that comes to standing. Going way back to school when you had to like, you know, like, okay, it's your turn for your presentation and you had to get up from your desk and walk to the front of the class. All of a sudden now, okay, it's real, right? This is a presentation. And so again, from my performance background and everything, if I'm standing and I'm kind of, I feel like I'm ready to go, like it's more what I'm used to. And in today's work from home world, people are working away on their, their computers. They have a virtual call, click a button. And it's on, but they're still just sitting there staring at their screen. And so they don't really, they don't have a warm up for themselves, right? right? And, you know, if you talk to salespeople, you know, very elite salespeople and, and the successful ones anyways, they will have a physical checklist for themselves before they get on the phone, before they approach someone in person or what have you. So I have a kettlebell. I'll swing a little bit before I get on a virtual call. I, I use what we call um, anchors, which is another thing from NLP. And so I'll share this one with you. This is um, just like an inhaler I have. And this one, I think it's called world peace, but it doesn't matter what the smell is. As long as you don't have some sort of associated memory to the smell that you are going to carry around. Right. So what you can do to set up an anchor, and this is olfactory because it's a smell, right? The sense is that when I had a really great trade show set, where every line I needed, all the messaging was just on point. The crowd was just loving it. You know, it was just like, man, I was really on. I would take this and I'd smell it. Okay. And then I wouldn't do anything. I would just, that's fine. When I had another good set, I would smell it again. So I was setting up an anchor. I was attaching a stimulus to a state Mm -hmm. that I wanted. Okay. So I did that like three times. And so now... When I smell this, I go back into how I felt when I was on. And so this is my shortcut because the olfactory sense is the express train to the brain. Mm. 
So before I get on a call, just like with you here today, <laughs> I went, took a sniff of this thing, and I'll tell you how I feel. Everyone's going to be different, right? right? For depending on what state they want. But I get like a chill that goes down <laughs> the back of my neck. I feel like I have a metal like bar that goes down my spine, like shunk, and I feel like like I'm a tank. I'm indestructible kind of thing. That's what I feel when I get it. And so that's part of my physical warm up to get my body ready to engage, to interact, right? And I think so few people realize that what actors go through right. to give a certain performance, what athletes do to give a certain performance on the field or on the pitch or on the ice, right? right? So if we really start putting a little bit more effort into how we go about engaging, interacting with prospects, you know, how different you can be perceived compared to your competition. Right. Right. Yeah. Because you're just coming across with a different energy level and they might not even be able to put their finger on it. Right. It's like you're cultivating an X factor for yourself that they're like, I don't know what it is about that person, but you know, I want what they have. <laughs> right. There can be that kind of piece to it. So don't neglect how you use your body. Give yourself a chance to use it. Like, standing up, giving yourself space. Another warm up too that comes from Amy Cuddy's head talk and everything was these power poses where you put your hand on your hips or you put your hands up in the air like you've just won a, <laughs> a race or something. And you do that for three minutes and it changes your body chemistry. It changes up you know, how you feel. And whether or not you dig into the science of it or you, you know, make an argument, like I don't think that's true. Just from my experience, the bigger you play, the more attractive you are and the more leadership qualities you exhibit. Because I'm standing there on a stage in a trade show floor and I got to stop people and make them listen to me. And if I played small and I was very internal and had my arms close to my body and just kind of was like at my shoulder, it would not work. Right. Right. They need to see the confidence and they need to see you, you know, exhibit that kind of level of commitment so that they will commit to you. And so when you're trying to bring people, attract people to you, we need to kind of give off that sort of vibe. So, so that pinky last point there, the body is very critical that we need that to be in alignment so that we're ready to engage. Awesome. Anders, thank you so much. I've learned so much on this podcast and I'm hoping that everybody that's listening learned a few things as well. I know there was a lot to take in on this episode, but even if you work on one of these five fundamentals, even just one, and start implementing it and practicing it when you go out to represent your business, the business you started because you're passionate about it, you're making a difference in the world, bring a little shift to what you're doing and just maybe you'll start bringing in just that many more prospects for your business. Anders, is there anything else you'd like to share before we go? I just want to kind of tag along on what you just said there. I gave you five things anchored to your five things, but you know what? We have, our minds can only comprehend so many things consciously. Okay. And so I don't want you to try to do all five. You're right. <laughs> I want you to pick one and start implementing that. And until you don't even have to think about it, don't go on to the next one, right? Just kind of go, let's nail this and bring this in with us and make this part of our routine, part of our process. 
and then and only then start applying those different layers. Because you, if you get overwhelmed, nothing's going to work, right? And then you can kind of test and you can kind of say, hey, do I like this? Do I think this is working for me, right? right. And you're able to understand the benefits associated. Love it. Just use one. Love it. Anders, if the listeners want to get in contact with you, where can they find you? Yeah, so they can go to engageify.ai. And the AI is not for artificial intelligence. It's for authentic interaction. Love. So E-N-G-A-G-I-F-Y and dot AI. And there, if they want, there's actually an opt-in. They can get a quick PDF on four ways to engage. So bore no more kind of thing. So ways that people don't realize they're kind of being more boring, they can learn how to be more engaging with that PDF download. Awesome. Anders, thank you so much for your time. I cannot wait to share this episode with the listeners and I hope you have an awesome day. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Allergic to Small Talk is a production of Cut Class, a place where you can access me, Rochelle Grow, and Leslie Levito. We teach the world how to start and grow businesses without a formal classroom. Executively produced by me, Rochelle Grow, and Cut Class, Creative direction by Sho Kazanjian. Audio editor and producer Tom McGeoch. And music is by Fami Kaira. If you'd like to access more free resources, check out our sister podcast, Out to Launch. Hosted by Cut Class's co-founder, Leslie Levito. She teaches people how to ditch their 9 to 5 to start their own business. See ya! See ya!